Have you ever thought what it's like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension? This is the Doctor Who Podcast. Pull up a chair and enjoy the latest Doctor Who podcast, the Doctor Who podcast, no less, episode 22. We've got all the boys in the caravan today and we're going to be talking about the latest episode that's been on our screens, Cold Blood, the finale to this very reptilian double-parter. Welcome to a very special edition of the Doctor Who podcast and due to many of our listeners sending in emails asking for one particular thing, this podcast is going to be entirely dedicated to an in-depth analysis of the last five minutes of Flesh and Stone because we haven't really (laughs) touched on it very much so far. Flesh and Stone, what's what's that about again? That's about... um... A companion stalking the Doctor, isn't it? Something I don't like think it. there's much else in that episode. <laughs> well, let's move on then. Perhaps we should discuss episode... <laughs> oh, what is it? Episode 9? Episode 9, Cold Bloods. The conclusion to this year's Solarian extravaganza. Solarian? What's a Solarian? Is that a Silurian that's been on a bed for too long? No, no, no. Oh. It's a Silurian pronounced correctly. Ah, well, actually, that that surely that would be an EOC. That was the first thing I I was going to talk about actually b- before I actually reviewed it. It was interesting how they spent pretty much all of last episode and this episode dancing around the fact not using that horrible S word. You know, they spent all the time calling them yes. Now the great meeting of Homo reptilia and the humans, and I was thinking, well. Surely these reptiles wouldn't have a clue what Homo reptilia meant. Surely they'd have their own name for who they were, whether it's the Silurians, which of course is incorrect, or whether they call themselves Eocenes or something like that. But surely someone would turn around to the doctor and go, why are you calling us Homo reptilia? I don't speak Latin. What are you talking about? Well, I I think, Trev, you've probably set a brand new record for being pedantic that quick. I mean, what are we, two minutes into the podcast? That's brilliant, I have to say. but It's been something that's been burning on my mind for the last three hours since I saw it. I go... Why do Silurians speak Latin? Why would they speak Latin? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, but it's a very good point. <clears throat> Feedback at the com <laughs> if you can enlighten Trevor on this one. <laughs> Tom, you've got nothing to say on that? <laughs> um, no, actually, I, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm absolutely stunned. You're just going to leave me hanging out there, aren't you, Tom? I'm Thank sorry. Thank you very much. I'm sorry. Normally the loquacious and verbal Tom would have something to say, but no. <laughs> He's going to let Trevor hang right out there to dry with that particular <laughs> Latin-themed comment. I'm, I'm, Thank you very much. I'm, I'm terribly sorry, but I, I should say I'm not the Tom. I'm a Tom. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's probably what it is. Okay, yes. sorry. Moving on. Yes, we do have to warn listeners that there could be more than one Tom. Um, prices may vary. So <laughs> please shop around. Not, not just price, but quality as well. Fortunately, we've got one of the yes. better ones. Anyway, Tom, yeah, since, oh, since, you, God for that. since you haven't got you anything to add to the eBay. Home... <laughs> <laughs> I 
Since you haven't got anything, Tom, to add to the Homo Reptilia debate, would you like to go first this week in terms of analysis? Oh, of course. I guess happily. Um, well, um, I was rather hoping that I'd spoken too soon last week with being less than overly thrilled with the uh, first episode. But I've got to be honest, although the pace in the, in the second episode here, Cold Blood, was slightly better um, than last week, I still wasn't massively engaged by it it was very much um a poetry tribute i liked as ever i like f- spotting the, the references to old doctors i love the planet of the daleks thing um and i love the celery quotation um but it just didn't grab me the last five minutes were good um the the whole poignant thing with rory was interesting but it was still not quite there for me it was it, don't get me wrong it was a good doctor who story it travelled along at reasonable pace, but it just didn't didn't grab me. Although that said, it's clear to me now that the story has started, the or at least the wind-up to the end of the season is, is now very much underway. But if I had to give it marks mm. out of 10, I'd mm. give it 6. There. Please wow. let me go next. Please, please, please. Off you go. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, you continue to surprise me, mate. You really do. I love you, but you continue to surprise me. I revelled in this episode. It really built up from last week's episode, which I said... Uh, was was a fantastically paced story for me. Sure, it wasn't a mega race to the finish, but it was a real Pertwee-type episode. And this one continued it on, but layered on top some incredible special effects, some fantastic set design, some incredible performances. I mean, I, I, I loved pretty much every single minute of Cold Blood. It was really, really good. What what I really enjoyed and, and what I was giggling with glee, I, I really was um, giggling with glee, um, the multi-stranded story. We had the stuff with, um, you know, that older guy and the uh, uh, venom that was in his body. We had the stuff with Amy and that young man and his son down in the uh, depths of the earth. We had the whole doctor story with his new companion. Um, we had the story with the Homo reptilia, with the scientists fighting against the um, military side of things, which for me was a wonderful heart back to the Pertwee era. Um, th- there were just so many fantastic things to enjoy in this episode. I-, I-, I really can't believe anyone who is a classic series fan, and especially of the original Silurian and Sea Devil stories from the 70s, didn't enjoy this episode to bits. I hear what you're saying, but I, it's like I said last week, I, I like classic Doctor Who, but of all the Doctor Who that I like, Pertwee is the stuff that I love the least. And I could don't get me wrong, I could feel it, I could see it, I could hear it. It was all very, very Pertwee, and it's a, a bit of a love letter to that, to that era of Doctor Who. Um, and you're right about the set design, but there was just something not quite there. It never quite ignited. I mean, the, the only thing which I really enjoyed about it was um, the Doctor's character development and Rory. That, that I loved. But the rest of it was like, mm, okay, I'm sure, you know, I'm, I don't think that we, need, that we needed two episodes to sell that story. It could have been done in one. Well, that's that's in, that's oh. that's interesting. Um, I, I think certainly the Doctor's character development and Rory. I think yeah, they're two interesting points. But I can't really see how the Doctor developed at all. Uh, for me, this was a return to what the Doctor should be. Um, there was no out of character moments at all for me either in this episode or last week's episode. So I'm I'm, I'm mm. kind of surprised that you think the Doctor actually moved in a in, in a new way or his character developed in in, in some way. Because I didn't really spot that. But aside from that, the rest of it, I'm I'm with Trev pretty much. I thought this was an excellent episode. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first part as well. And I think it was said in Confidential last week. 
um, that this particular episode, Cold Blood, was very different, or was going to be very different to The Hungry Earth, and I didn't see that. As far as I could see, if you were to watch this as an hour and a half film or TV movie, it would work. Um, it's, it's pacing, I think, is absolutely spot on. Um, and even if you don't try and compare it to the original classic series format, I still think it works in its own right. All of the characters seem to be pretty much at home with who those characters are. Um, I doesn't necessarily mean that I particularly engage with them. The only one that I really do have any empathy with is the Doctor. Um, and I think, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the death of Rory a little bit later. Um, or should we say his second death? Because it's the second time we've seen him die in three weeks, I think. And it didn't bother me personally either way. But as I say, perhaps we can um, we talk about that a little bit later. I think there were a few nods to classic series. I like the celery mention as well. You can't have enough celery mentions as far as I'm concerned. And of course, the last <laughs> time we saw um, the Homo Reptilia or Sea Devils, Ice Warriors, Merca, whatever, was Warriors of the Deep. So it was fitting that there was a reference to a Fifth Doctor story there. Um, what I didn't think was used as such brilliant effect was a toxic fumigation solution at the end now that was just a little bit too hexachromide for me yeah i mean essentially it, there was two things one i think it was you know very very similar to warriors of the deep and secondly why would a very intelligent species install a security system that includes toxic gas permeating every part of their base you know it doesn't really make a great deal of sense unless i missed something there it could be that there are two but uh, two factions of um silurians i.e there's the people who are wise enough to go to sleep and then there's the, there's maybe a, a rebel faction who need to be fumigated but that's me adding things to the story that aren't overly yeah. there no 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 i really think that's in this story i think this episode if if we are to look at it, really shows the difference between the scientist and the military cast. There are two separate casts, and, and that's even shown by the um, face masks that both of them use. There, there is a distinct difference between the the warrior class and the scientist class, and I think using that fumigation system, as you call it, is a way of keeping that warrior cast in line because, as we saw, the, the warrior cast can just take up arms and take over if they want to, you know, mm. perform a coup whenever they want to. To to me, it did make sense that there was something that I suppose the pacifist scientist class could use to subjugate the warrior class mm. because they 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 view the warrior class as their tools. I think, whereas the warrior class consider themselves to be the true Homo reptilia. I suppose. Um, yeah, it's it's a possibility that there, there was a point where the character, I think it was Razdak, said that she didn't recognise the authority uh, that the older Silurian had. What was the character's name? El El Dane or El Dawn El or Dane. something. So that would imply that at one point she did accept his authority. And, you know, I think one of the things about the Silurians, you look at any of the stories that they're featured in. There is a structure, there is a hierarchy there, and it is accepted. There's, you know, I think the doctor calls it an honour code. And I'm not so certain whether or not, even if it's another branch of the same species, would be so different, you know? So I'm, I'm not entirely certain they were viewing each other as potential threats to the point whereby you'd actually build in a system that would kill them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not buying that completely. I'm not buying that completely. Mm -hmm. 
Toxic fumigation initiated. Return to cryogen. No! Toxic no! fumigation initiated. Return to cryogen. This is not the order! Toxic fumigation initiated. They're going. We're clear. Okay, everyone follow Nazarene. Look for a blue box. Get ready to run. I'm sorry. I thought for a moment our race and the humans. Yeah. Me too. One of the things that I did want to, to talk about, and you've both mentioned this already, are the special effects and set design. Now, you said that they were very good. I, I disagree. I thought they were quite poor this time. I mean, right from the very beginning, and I rewound and looked at this part again, when the Doctor and Nazarene walk into the city, it very much looks like a painting. It's just a painting, a very beautiful painting, but it was kind of just put on screen and the characters moved from one side to the other. I mean, and this, mm. this is a very, very unfair comparison, but it reminded me of Underworld a little bit, <laughs> you know? The modern day <laughs> oh, equivalent. And that's not supposed to be a really bad criticism, but it did make me think the characters on screen are completely removed from their surroundings. So I didn't particularly think that was very, very good special effects. And perhaps it is just, you know, a particular form of BBC budget cuts. Maybe that extended even into using the same actress to play both Alea and Razdak as well. Um, and I know that they were supposed to be part of the same cast system or the same family or something. But I didn't... Re- was that the same actress? Yeah, the same actress. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I never picked that. I mean, they, they made a big deal about them being part of the same... Genetic strain. Part of... <laughs> Yeah, same same strain exactly, Tom. But I, I never picked it with the same actress. Yeah, was it? Was, there you go. Was that a script convenience written in later, just so that they only had to pay one actor's salary, <laughs> or was it? <laughs> I don't. Was know. it part of the story to start with? Again, unnecessarily pedantic. But Trevor, you set the bar for this episode on pedantry already, so I feel perfectly <laughs> safe. On the whole special effects set dressing side of things, I, I didn't really have a problem with that because at the end of the first episode, Hungry Earth, that they set up the whole. CGI panorama, so leading straight into Cold Blood with them walking across that underworldist type CGI fest didn't really worry me. The The only bit that slightly pulled me back from reality was um, sometimes I got a bit of a Waters of Mars feel, like they were walking through a very, very set-dressed right. arbitorium right. Um, okay. at, at, at points. That's probably the only bit that really let it down for me, but as a whole, I thought a lot of the set dressing and special effects for this world... I suppose we can call it was was really well realised. Mm. It's oh, nice. To see, it was good to see the redesign of the Solaris. Uh, sorry, sorry, James. No, no, I have a sneaky suspicion. I'm going to say exactly the same thing as you, but go on. <laughs> you okay, can, I'll um, tell you. It was good to see the redesign of the Silurians. I know there'd been some discussion about well, where's the third eye. They're not quite the same thing. But as with most things in Doctor Who, the whole thing's just dismissed in a in half a line. They were just a different branch of the same family, and that's it. You know, it, it's fixed from there. Uh, I liked the Silurian costumes. I much preferred the, des- the redesign of the guns as well. I was never entirely convinced by that Sea Devil design. Um, but, it, but it looked good. Uh, the, I did like the, some of the themes that came up. I liked the motivation of the characters entirely being down to family. And that was the big, that, that was the big uh, theme for me. Family, you know, you, you've got uh, Ambrose's family. You've got the relationship between Rory and Amy. That was great. But... I'll say again, I don't think we needed two episodes to tell this story, you know. I think people will say, 
about any episode, all that might have worked a little bit better if it were a bit longer, or any two-parter, all that could have worked as one episode. I think it probably is very subjective, and I think any story can be told within any period of time if you do it quick enough, and I think Doctor Who sometimes deliberately crams everything into 45 minutes or perhaps an hour. I mean, you look at how fast-paced Rose was, or how fast-paced even the 11th hour was. That was very, very fast, and again, if that had been you know slowly sorry if the audience had been slowly eased into those situations and those characters it could have been better now another series that did do that was Buffy and Buffy always used to end up on a couple of episodes um, at the end of season and they always used to open with a two-parter as well at least in the early seasons and for me that that worked um, but yeah I, I didn't feel this one suffered from you know a pacing in, you know, or an inaccurate pacing choice. I, I thought it just worked really well. I didn't look at the clock at any time, and before I knew it, the story had finished quite satisfactorily, and then you got the added, you know, the added five minutes at the end of the episode as well with a crack, and for once, that didn't jar. It just fitted nicely into the episode, so I really enjoyed it. The part which I said, I think I'm going to say the same thing as you there, Tom, was referring to the Sea Devil's gun. And yeah, I, I I thought that was very, very good. Um, and again, no one would have picked up on it unless they'd watched the Sea Devils. And I don't think that many people who are watching yesterday's episode would have watched uh, the Sea Devils <laughs> apart from us fans. But yeah, I, I thought it was another nod to the Silurian's origins. thought it was good. The intro um, spoken by Eldane, Stephen Moore, was actually quite anomalous. He talks about the events in the story in past tense. He's talking about it from a thousand years in the future because he refers to the story being, this is the story of, 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 that great, of the great doctor some thousand years ago, as if the, as if the humans and the Silurians are now living together in harmony. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, which Definitely is, so, yes. yes. Which, which is interesting. So, you know, as I said earlier on, I, I, I do get the feeling that the story proper, or at least the, the denouement of the whole season, has finally kicked in, uh, uh-huh. which, is, which is quite exciting. I think there's a very obvious reason for that, and that reason is had they not had that narration in, or the slight difference, this would have been the fourth time that Doctor Who would have told the same story. Because the Silurians, the Sea Devils and Warriors of the Deep are all about negotiations between humans and Silurians or Homo Reptilia failing. And if you'd have done that again, then I think that would have just been using the same storyline too much. So this was a slightly Stephen Moffat way of putting a different ending on the same story. What I found most fascinating about that too was that I, I was waiting and watching for the whole negotiation scenes between the reptiles and the humans. <laughs> yeah. And it was left to Amy and Nazarene to do it, and the Doctor just wandered off. Yeah. That, that to me, was incredibly fascinating, that basically Nazarene was, was the one that was the saviour of, of this episode. I mean, for most of those scenes when they were doing the negotiating, Amy seemed to look quite bored. And yeah, she, had she, was asleep. Hands and yeah. <laughs> she, she was asleep for yeah. most of the time. I mean, I mean I, I'm wondering why they, they went for that particular characterization. For me, the, the character of Amy wouldn't have done that. To, to me, she would have taken the bull by the horns and gone, okay, I'm at a really important part of history. I mean, surely if her, her travels with the Doctor have taught her anything, that she is at a momentous stage of human history, that she would be involved with that. Yeah. I, I, I don't think Amy is particularly 
engaged in many situations. I, I think she was fascinated in the early episodes by the Doctor's lifestyle, but I've not found her to be a particularly interested character. Not interesting, interested. She doesn't really see what's going on, um, and I think that's characterised by her very different reactions to things. Her reactions to the TARDIS, uh, her reactions to time travel, have all been quite different to that which we've seen from previous uh, companions. And put it this way, if the future of the human race depended on two people negotiating our future, I would not want Amy Pond to be part of that equation. I really wouldn't. <laughs> But as the discussions went on, I began to despair about whether we would ever find any common ground. As ambassadors for our species, we all had too much to lose. So, um, what about the areas that aren't habitable to us? Australian outback. Sahara Desert, Nevada Plains. They're all deserted. Yes, fine. But what happens when their population grows and breeds and spreads? And anyway, what benefit does humanity get? And how will we ever sell this to people on the surface? If I could get a word in, maybe I could tell you. Like was said before by you guys, um, the, the whole opening narration seems to indicate that it was successful. But for me, it seems like, you know, when, when that doctor made that throwaway comment about, hey, guys, you've um, got a thousand years to work it out, don't mess it up. That was really strange because, I mean, it sort of brought home to me that you're really not going to solve anything today, guys, that there's going to be a lot of turbulent times ahead. It's not all going to be smooth sailing. Mm. That people alive today aren't going to be thinking a thousand years in the future. They're just not going to be thinking about that. Um, to, to me, if Nazarene went, goes back to the surface, uh, approaches the authorities, the first thing they're going to do is start another drill to wipe them out. I think there's still going to be a lot of bleak times ahead for any possible alliance between those two races i like that we, we continue with the theme of things not being what they seem uh which is very much the i don't know how can i put this uh which is very much the theme of season five because there, there's there was no real indication of who the monsters are in this it's not it's not definitely silurians and it's not definitely the humans i don't know how you felt when ambrose executed uh Elea. That was possibly the most monstrous moment that you know, and, and it wasn't coming at the hands of the green men. So, I, I like that this show is making me watch it and pay attention to what's going on, even you know, regardless of how engaging the story, the, uh, the containing story may or may not be. But I like that the idea of who the monsters were was being uh, was was being played with because it was, as I say, it was the, the Silurians had an awful lot of redemption about them. Um, and at, at the end, I was kind of disappointed. I understood Ambrose's motivation, but I was really quite terribly disappointed in her. But it was well, you know, oh. obviously it was it, it was well. Tom, yeah, no. Tom, I'm going to totally derail that comment that you just made and cool. totally shift the focus. I, I have a real problem with you saying execution yes. because I don't think that's I I don't think that's the case at all. She had a taser mm -hmm. for goodness' sake. Her intent was not to go in there and kill a layer. Mm. Her intent was to go in there and maybe torture a layer a little bit to, to try and find out where her son was and get him back. Isn't that monstrous? Um, no. It, it is monstrous, no. yes, but to, to say she walked in there with the intent to execute, she was as surprised when a layer died mm. um, as everyone else was. I, I think it was just an unlucky shot that, you know, the um, taser was, was near 
her heart or something like that and, and that caused her to die. Or maybe Homo reptilia are particularly susceptible to yeah. that mild shock. No, I, I well, agree he, he, completely with you, Trev. And I, I think I think Ambrose got a bad deal, not only from the doctor, but also from you there, Tom, a little bit as well. <laughs> and, I, and I think the, the reason for that is because you got to remember, right? She thought her husband was dead. Two weeks ago, yep. she thought her husband was dead. Then she discovers what it is that has, has, has taken her husband. Then her father gets poisoned. Then her son goes missing. This is a woman on the edge. And I don't, I mean, especially, I mean, if it, maybe we're taking this too seriously, but I would not stop at anything in order to protect my family. And the reason that Ambrose decided to do the things that she did was because she thought she would be able to save her father. And that sense of family, I think, and, and the loyalty that she felt to her family wasn't focused on at all within the script. So I think what you said originally when you opened that little debate there, Tom, was absolutely right. There isn't actually a clear goodie and a clear baddie here. There are no monsters. And I think that was even articulated in a particular line of dialogue that the Silurians said. You broke him to undermine me. We're not monsters, and neither are they. What is it about apes you love so much? Hmm? While you slept, they've evolved. I've seen it for myself. I used to hunt apes for sport. When we came underground, they bred and polluted this planet. Shush now, Restag. Go and play soldiers. I'll let you know if I need you. And I think that's true. I think both species were capable of doing a significant amount in order to protect what was important to them. And in both cases, it was a sense of family. I, I understand that. I, mean, I, I do feel that... Um, I, I felt the disappointment in Ambrose that the Doctor absolutely projected onto her as well, though. Um, don't get me wrong, I understand her motivation. It was just such a disappointment that she went down that route. Had she set out to kill Alaya, then I would probably mm. agree with you. But it wasn't the intention to end her life. It was a case of saying, give me the antidote so I can make my father better. And then what did she get from Alaya? She got taunted and riled. And I don't know whether I'm that strong enough a character in order to um, not rise to that. Do you know, on the plus side, though, it's it, it, it's great that Doctor Who still has stories to tell. It's great that it's still got a fresh perspective on, well, what is clearly a retread of an old per episode, truth be told. Um, but <laughs> that, that was, that, I've got to be honest, I think it's kind of clear. I wasn't massively taken by the whole story. But that said, what I was taken by was the way that the Death of Warrior was handled. I, what, what did you guys think about that? Well, I, I, I suppose we should talk about the elephant in the room, shouldn't mm. we? The uh, Death of Rory, which, um, as I'll say as a side note, was spoiled for me by one of our... Uh, Posters on the DWP forums, <laughs> and you know who you are, sir. Oh, well, you've been severely reprimanded as a result. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I walked into this episode already knowing that Rory was going to die. I just didn't know the circumstances of it. I couldn't stop thinking of Adric. Yeah, it's very earth for the whole episode. It, it was very earth shock. It, it was very. I'm going to sacrifice myself for you, but I also couldn't take away the fact that Rory is an Adric-type character and that his death, or both Adric and Rory's deaths, in some ways are mildly pointless. Did Adric not if, give rise it, to all, all life on Earth? Come on, that's pretty good. <laughs> if we can take a quote from Warriors of the Deep, there should have been another way. That their destiny, I mean, any death is pointless, really. But 
there should have been another way to do it. I think they're they're trying to make the death of Rory something that will resonate throughout the season. I'm sure there's going to be something with that wedding ring. There has to be. Oh yeah. Um, it, it it was specifically pointed out in the previously on Doctor Who bit. It was specifically seen by the Doctor when um, the explosion happened. Um, so it's going to return. So while at the moment we're thinking of Rory as an incidental character that was killed, saving the Doctor, I think there's going to be more down the track that maybe they're trying to maybe justify the death of Rory. I'm, I, I, think, I think Rory's a lot more important. I've been saying this all the way through. Rory's a lot more important than I think we're giving him credit for here. Um, no, but you see, I, I made a strong decision even before watching this episode that I'm sick of coming on the DWP and saying, oh, I don't really agree with what they did, but it will have ramifications and it will be paid off later in the season. I am absolutely tired of saying that. And I've drawn the line now. I'm not really sure the death of Rory was um, worthwhile. In what way? I, I don't know. It, it, it just seemed pointless. Like I'm saying, all death is pointless. Mm. It seemed to be a very trivial type of thing. But if the production team is saying it's going to be paid off, and, and I'm sure it is later in the season, I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if Rory comes back, that there's going to be something with this yeah. stuff behind the crack type of thing that's going to have some way of having Rory return and be reunited. No, I, um, I, I, I agree completely, and it's, I, I'd be, I'm quite surprising myself here, um, comparing him to Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I believe he'll be back. Definitely. Oh, dear. <laughs> dear, dear. Well, Rory and Arnie, very similar characters, really, aren't they? Very robotic, a bit pointless, but anyway. Um, oh. I, I think... Um, <laughs> Tremendously poignant. I, I, no, it was not. It was not. Oh, no, this, 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 for me, this is the major you... point that I wanted to make. I was utterly unengaged with the, Rory's character. I had no emotional investment in him. At all. He was introduced as a bit of a buffoon in the 11th hour. We didn't see him again for another six episodes. And then he was running around Venice, again, being incredibly inept most of the time. Amy's choice was the first time that I began to really quite enjoy the character. And then he's dead. Sorry, I'm really not going to care a great deal. And if you compare it to more recent deaths, I mean, Adric's an interesting comparison, one that I hadn't actually thought of, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm thinking of Yanto from Torchwood. Now, you think of the fan reaction to that character death. My God, there were panels on it at Gallifrey. You know, there was one, <laughs> one person got up in that panel, started shouting and walked out. That was the strength of feeling. Now, if I were going to comment on Rory's death, it would be, yeah... Oh, so that, what? That that yeah, would be right. the extent. Um, I'm I'm sorry, Dave. I haven't had the emotional investment in him, and neither have I with Amy either. But clearly, Tom, you feel slightly differently there. You guys are both completely wrong. I, I wouldn't mind, but you are both <laughs> so totally wrong. Rory is. Do you know what? The I've been archetype. waiting. I've been waiting for Tom to say, "Guys, you are wrong." Not. I see where you're coming from. I've been waiting for him to say, <laughs> "You're wrong." We've got it. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Well, look, brilliant. But, but here's the thing: Rory is the archetypal companion. He's the he's the he's the one more than Amy that holds the man back. That's what companions supposed to do. The companion is supposed to make the Doctor think. Amy's running alongside him, getting excited and jumping up and down with him. Rory is saying, "Look, do you not realise what you do? You make people dangerous to themselves. It's not a game. No, that's this what is, this is actually Davros said." That's what Davros oh. said in the end of the world. You're comparing Rory to Davros now, Tom. He's equally important because, you know, but as I say, ca um, the character of Amy isn't doing this for the Doctor. He, she's just being there like some sort of Pollyanna. She's she, she's not she's not really 
firing him. She's not driving him, but where Rory was very definitely making him stop. There was there's a real poignancy in what in in that whole episode. When um what, what did he what did he say? Um, Rory says of of the Doctor, I trust him with my life, and ultimately that's his undoing. Um, similarly, yeah, why, when why did he trust him with his life? He has no reason to trust him with his life. He doesn't know him very well. He's been dragged off through time and space. He's, you know, he's been shown more of the universe than he ever thought could possibly exist. Plus, when it comes to it, he's he's engaged to Amy, and he's been trying to fight the ghost of the Doctor for most of his adult most of his adult life. And um, the other thing that I, that I think is quite interesting is when the Silurians are trying to negotiate with the humans, Rory does actually step up to the mark and say, "Well, actually, all right, look, I'll speak for the humans." And notice how the Doctor says, "Look, listen to Rory." So, he, so the Doctor's put a certain amount of trust in him as well. So that there is a certain amount of hubris between the two, but there is a relationship which has developed and it is very sad when he dies as, as i say I mean, you know time time can be rewritten if we look at the context of the story um and i i, I also noticed the rather significant look that the doctor was giving the ring when uh, the, when there was the explosion that distracted amy which stopped her remembering rory which is hmm, I'm, I'm sorry I, I, I don't i don't agree i think I've, I've hit gabble mode rather quickly there but i don't agree that rory was <laughs> in any way a cipher he's very very i think he's very very important if anything you know Doc, doctor who lives as a story because he's you know the doctor is a fallible hero and rory is a fallible companion he's the most the, probably the most human and realistic of the companions that we've seen for a while rose was just a bit too emotional martha well i have a view on that um Amy, the character of Amy is wonderful to look at. She dressed for Rio, but Rory is the most human, and the mo- and it's terribly sad to see him gone. Although I think you might be right, Trev. I don't think we've seen the last of him. No, actually, do you, do you know what I thought of as soon as all the stuff with the ring in the box was happening? Mm. Lord of the Rings. I was thinking. I no. I was thinking Gallifrey and Fobwatch. <laughs> all the way through that. I don't know why, and that probably qualifies as a kooky theory. Of the week. This is the wrong episode to put it in. But I could not stop thinking of somehow Rory's put his consciousness into the ring and the doctor's looking at it and going, I know what that is. Now, that's obviously made me crazy and I'll just retire over to the corner now. I think, no, I, Trish, I, you need to I make think it's certain that you do play the insert kooky theory of the week there because that's <laughs> pretty kooky as things, as things go. <laughs> I, th- I think it will be significant as the ju- as the jump lead to restart Amy because if we go back to uh, Flesh and Stone, it, there's that thing where, uh, where where the Doctor in the TARDIS, the other Doctor, says, "Look, it's really important. You have to remember what I told you when you were seven. Um, so I do believe that the, the ring may be uh, a very important jump point, as I say, or something. So, look, Amy, do you remember this? You were in enga- uh, you were engaged to this man called Rory. Um, although, it, I, I'm going to put it. it it's not the same as the end of season four, where Donna, forgetting her whole time in the TARDIS, was oh, unutterab- unutterably, unutterably sad. But then that was the whole story being told in that moment. Um, the story of Amy forgetting Rory is part of a larger thing. Um, you know, and, well, I have a view about uh, the, the pieces of TARDIS shell being found inside the crack. But uh, I'll leave that for later, I think. body's absorbed i'll forget him he'll never have existed you can't let that happen what are you doing
him in your mind. Don't forget him. If you forget him, you'll lose him forever. No way, on the Byzantium. I still remember the clerics because I am a time traveler. Now you said... They weren't part of your world. This is different. This is your own history changing. Oh, tell me it's going to be okay. You have to make it okay. It's going to be hard, but you can do it. <laughs> tell me about Rory, huh? Fantastic, Rory, funny. Rory, gorgeous, Rory. Amy, listen to me. Do exactly as I say. Amy, please, keep concentrating. You can do this. I can't. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder. Everybody's been talking about these um, that continuity error, in inverted commas, um, scene within Flesh and Stone that you just mentioned there, Tom. And mm -hmm. I am beginning to think it may well have actually been a continuity error. I really am. I, <laughs> I, I, I really think it may have been, um, which I know is exceptionally rare on Doctor Who, but there's been nothing that's made me think, yeah, it makes an awful lot of sense for the Doctor to go back and say that specific set of words to Amy at that time. Remember what she yeah. said at seven? Now, I mean, I know some people have been a little bit more um, obsessive than I have, but they've gone back and watched all of the 11th hour to try and figure mm. out what it is that a Doctor's referring to. So... In other words, the scenario is, unless the Doctor has gone back to a previous point in his own time stream to remind his companion to remember a piece of dialogue that may never have actually been on screen, I mean, that may be pushing Moffat's ingenuity a little bit too far, I think. So I'm beginning yeah, to no, think no. continuity era. Even for me, Moffat Doctor Who, I won't say is not that clever, <coughs> but it's not that detailed. Yeah. Even Moffat Doctor Who would have something somewhere which would remind us of this supposed thing that happened in Flesh and Stone, that the Doctor returned, that he was wearing his jacket. There would be some hint there somewhere because everything else that we're supposed to remember is still being telegraphed for us. I mean, even in Cold Blood, we were given a nice little recap of the crack, that this is how it started, this is what it does... Um, this is the effects of it. The the viewers are, are, are treated a little bit like stupid people, I think, that they don't remember what happened seven weeks ago. Ah, and that's the key to it. What if we're being actually credited with some intelligence? The angels referred to the Doctor as the Doctor in the TARDIS. Don't, you know, don't, and Stephen Moffat, he used to spend time on those, uh, on those outpost Gallifrey forums. He knows how obsessive Doctor Who fans are, and he knows how to treat us. Um, I, oh, honestly, I think... No, he, also, he also knows that we're a very, very small part of his audience... And he is a yes. very intelligent individual. I mean, you're talking about four or five million people here. He's not going to write something exclusively uh, for the fans' benefit. I mean, for me too, your detailedness really struck me today and it made me think of it today when Amy made that comment when Rory was dead saying, oh, we have to get the Doctor on the TARDIS. Yes. Not in the TARDIS, but on the TARDIS. And I thought, ah, Tom's going to pick up on that. Yep. And he's going to come onto the show and give us a 20-minute <laughs> spiel about... <laughs> How how that oh, has some relevance. Poor Tom. To, <laughs> <laughs> but but to me, I, I think sometimes I mean what I'm trying to say is sometimes we read a little bit too much into it. And I think I'm with James that it's a continuity error. All right. So I I tell you what then. So I, I did actually go out and buy I, I did actually go out and buy some Vegemite just in case I had to eat my hat for this week in case the episode had got good. Um <laughs> For anyone who's not sure what Vegemite is, it's just like Marmite, but from Australia. Um, um, and but, better. And better, yes. I think you're right. Um, but I'll tell you what, if, if we're setting out the stall now, I'm quite happy to make a bet with you to say, all right, it's not a continuity error. Because you, you guys are clearly saying it's a continuity error, and I'm saying, no, it's not. I'm, I'm confident all right. to take that bet, Mr. Atta. All right. 
All Same right. here. All so right. we have to do something at Gallifrey 22 mm-hmm. if we're wrong, and you have to do something at Gallifrey 22 if you're right. right. So okay. listeners, well, listeners. <laughs> come up with a suitable punishment. No, okay. Well, here's the, th- here's the thing then. I know that I'm correct because I always am. <laughs> um, you sound just Frank- like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, 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 only missed run- I only missed running for PM by a little bit. But uh, here's the thing. I'm right. It's not a continuity error. The Doctor in the TARDIS is important. And, well, okay. You guys saying I'm wrong? I know I'm not. There we are. It, yeah, I think, James, <laughs> were, you gonna, were, were you going to say for, you know, for, um, for the listeners that perhaps if they could think of a forfeit for, uh, for you two when you're, when you're showing up to be completely incorrect? Not exactly. quite what I was having in mind. I was going to say think up a forfeit for Tom when no. they realised <laughs> that Tom is wrong. So, yeah, you were nearly right. I know where you're coming from, Tom. <laughs> but you're not quite there. <laughs> okay. I understand where you're coming from, Tom. Yes. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. All right, we'll I see. see what you mean, Tom. But this, on this occasion, you're wrong. I'm telling you. All okay, right, so cool. Let's, well. let's let's move let's move on to something much much more important now, guys. Now, I've cool. recently been watching the Space Museum again, and, and I've really really enjoyed it. I have to say, but one thing it's that a great struck show, me, isn't it? it yeah. is. It's really really good, and it's it's not some. Anyway, I'm getting off the point here. But the main <laughs> point was that Barbara Wright's hair is identical to Matt Smith's. I mean, you can actually look. <laughs> You can look at a couple of pictures of Barbara Wright and just completely remove her. And again, listeners, if you're technically gifted, by all means, go out and do this. Remove Barbara Wright's face, put Matt Smith's in, and you can't tell the difference. Oh, I want to see that on the forums, like within 24 <laughs> hours of, of this episode. Someone's got to put Barbara Wright's hair on Matt Smith's body. Got to do it now. Got to do it. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> oh, um, did, did you guys get the visual quote for Planet of the Daleks? It was, just, like I said, it was a love, a love letter to, to, to John Pertwee. But did you see how the Silurians looked like the ranks of Daleks at the end of Planet of the Daleks? I didn't. Oh, I haven't seen Planet of the Daleks for a long time, I'm afraid. So no. Here's a long bow, Tom. Please um, draw it. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool, but yeah, okay. Like, fine. so you, you, know, you know, the Daleks are all frozen and the rest of it. And when I, when, I, when I just saw the shot and just blinked a little bit, it was like, okay, it looked a bit like the um, the, the Daleks in the caves of Planet of the Daleks. But sorry, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think what forfeit I'm going to get you to get you guys to do. I might have to get you to dress up as Joe Grant or something. What makes you think we don't <laughs> do all... that normally anyway? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, better than Superman. Anyway. <laughs> I'm only neutralising all your ape bacteria. I'm not an ape. Look at the scans. Two hearts. Totally different. Totally not ape! Oh. Removal of human germs. You remove half the things keeping me alive. No, complete the process. Oh. That's much better, thanks. Not got any celery, have you? Right, well, I think we've probably done this episode to death, haven't we, guys? <laughs> Mm. <laughs> okay, so let's so let's wrap up this edition of the Doctor Who podcast. One one thing I think we will just say is that depending on how innovative and how creative our listeners are in terms of thinking up a forfeit for Tom to perform at Gallifrey next year, um, oh. then I think we should incentivize <laughs> them. I think we should incentivize them. So if you want, let's say, a the Doctor Who podcast mug. Then there you go. All you've got to do is come up with a really fantastic forfeit for Tom to perform, and that will be sent out to you in the post. 
and you can be anywhere yeah. in the world for that. So send in your awesome. suggestions, yep. feedback at the Doctor Who Podcast dot com. Okay. Well, c- conversely, when it is revealed how incredibly wrong Trevor and James are. Um, I'm quite happy to donate a copy of the new Colin Baker book, Look Who's Talking, to the most in- in- innovative suggestion for what these two chaps will have to do when I'm proven to be awesome. totally correct. Yes. I tell you, that, that, that is great for our listeners because not only do they get a mug, but they get the chance to attend Gallifrey 22 and see either two or one of us make total asses of ourselves. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that should be quite good. I might just have to get you to say something specific and chosen to Sarah Sutton. We'll see. <laughs> well that's awesome get your entries in guys because you know the mugs are ready to roll to you as as soon as we get some fantastic ideas for um what the forfeit should be for when tom is wrong this is the vo- okay this is the silence of confidence there <laughs> well as james said i think that might be it for this episode of the doctor who podcast the doctor who podcast no less um please send in your thoughts about uh, hungry Earth, Cold Blood to feedback at the com. We've got a feedback episode coming up in the middle of the week with a very special guest with mm. a lot of you people have been asking um, for to return. So a very familiar voice will be making his live debut on the DWP. So please check us out um, l- later in the week for that. But um, apart from that, thank you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cool. Right, it's been wonderful speaking to you as well, as always, Trev. And it's <laughs> indeed, been right indeed. talking to you, Tom. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> when shall we three meet yeah. again in Thunder, Lightning or on the Doctor Who podcast? Take it easy. I hope you all can join us um, in a few days for our fan reaction episode to Cold Blood and there will be a lot to talk about with our special mystery guests. So please stay tuned for that. So, bye, Tom. Take it easy. Bye, James. Bye. See you soon, guys. Bye-bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. awesome guys I, I was going to say the same thing yeah mm. this has been awesome the best episode of Doctor Who or the best episode of the podcast podcast, podcast. Yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> who gives a about Doctor Who <laughs> say how awesome we are it's all about okay. us Tom it's all about us <laughs> uh-huh. the Doctor Who podcast no it's just yeah. a Doctor the Who podcast the Doctor Who podcast what is this pornographic filth that the BBC is spewing out upon us